This is Dropped Among This Crowd, a podcast that dives into the music and community of improvisational progressive rock bands on Free Geese. Each week will feature a rotating schedule of insightful full show recaps, interviews with fellow Umphreaks, members of Team UM, as well as other musicians who have been inspired by and or played with the band. This is your place for all the latest news and happenings within the world of Umphreaks, helping keep you informed on what's been recently released or where you can catch the next show. I'm your host, Sarah Jaginiak. Thanks for joining me as we dive in. Are you prepared for what comes next? Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for this week of Dropped Among This Crowd. I hope that you were able to check out last week's episode where I shared my chat with Jake Sinegar. In case you missed that one, Jake and I talked a little bit about the Boondock Build. That event happened on April 23rd and there will be a little recap of that evening here on the show in a little bit. Jake also talks about the benefits of being from a small town and how it helps him artistically. He takes us inside his songwriting and recording process, what it's like working with such incredible songwriters like Carl Engelman and Bayless. We go on a stroll down memory lane and talk about some great ABT stories, that 2017 show at Vegetable Buddies that I talk about so often, and a whole bunch more. Shout out to Jake for taking the time to relive the past and chat with me. It was such a pleasure hearing these stories and getting a little sneak peek inside his creative process. If you missed it and would like to give that a listen, there is a link in the show notes where you can find it. Also, in case you missed the news in last week's episode, this month's issue of Conduit hit the streets last Friday, April 30th, and featured stashed inside the pages part one of the incredible ABT history. Also a recipe from Carl Engelman for pork chop pie. In the print version, an article written by Joel back in 1998 about ABT. Yes, that's correct. (laughs) And a whole bunch more gold. So make sure you snag yourself a copy. There is a link in the show notes for that. Or you can head to Etsy, search Among This Crowd and grab one there. If you'd like to download the digital version, you can also snag one by checking out the link in the show notes. There's also an option to pre-order next month's print version of part two, so check that out if you want to make sure you don't miss the conclusion of this huge ABT feature. This week, I am excited to bring you my chat with concert photographer, videographer, director, and live stream producer, Keith Greiner. A couple of weeks ago, I had the pleasure of virtually meeting Keith and chatting about a shit ton of topics, like what inspired him to pick up a camera for the first time. He tells me what band gave him his first photo pass. We talk about how his friendship with the guys in the band translates into the type of photographs that he gets. We talk about Wrapped Around Nashville, Crescent Sun Lighting, working with Darius Rucker, the Valentine's run last year in Asheville with Billy Strings. 
his company and COVID 2020 pivot fierce production and a whole bunch more just a really really great conversation with Keith I wanted to say thank you to him for taking the time this guy's calendar is packed he had a band on their way over at the end of our chat so I really appreciate him taking that free hour to chat with me Keith is absolutely hilarious and such a riot We talked about this in our chat, but his Insta stories are hilarious with the memes that he shares. So if you're not following him, you really should. Just the memes that he shares are so hilarious, and sometimes that's exactly what you need in your day is to just laugh at some funny-ass memes. Um, So I threw a link to his Instagram profile in the show notes, so you can give him a follow if you're not. Looking for a new way to stream your music or listen to your favorite podcasts? Check out this exclusive offer for DATC listeners and Conduit subscribers. Head to getamazonmusic.com slash dropped among this crowd to receive a 90-day free trial of Amazon Music. That's getamazonmusic.com slash D-R-O-P-P-E-D a-M-O-N-G-T-H-I-S-C-R-O-W-D to get a 90-day free trial and unlimited access to 70 million songs always ad-free with unlimited skips on Amazon Music. This offer is only good until May 24th. Before we get to my chat with Keith, little Umphreys news for you. A few of the band's rescheduled Northeast and Southern dates have been canceled, so take a peek at their website for the ever-revolving calendar for the year. Any ticket holders will be contacted about a refund for the tickets that they have for these canceled dates. Any questions, reach out to the point of sale. There is a link in the show notes where you can check out the current list of Umphreys McGee tour dates. I didn't see a lot about this announcement, but on May 22nd, Jen Hartswick and Brendan Bayless duo will be playing in front of people on Rivendale Four Acre Farm in LaPorte, Colorado. This very special picnic style event sounds like a pretty awesome time. I was checking out the website and seems like a really cool thing. I'll throw the info link in the show notes so you can check everything out. And if tickets are still available at the time of this show's airing, you'll also be able to snag them there. One final thing before I get to my chat with Keith, a quick little rundown of the special and interesting evening that was the Boondock Build on April 23rd. In case you have no idea what I'm talking about, this event gave us the treat of watching Jake create a brand new song in real time. You may recall Day in the Dock last year where Jake took us inside his creative process. This is one step beyond that because as I mentioned this time, it's all happening live. If you miss what went down during Day in the Dock last year, check out episode 113. I get all into it. 
Also, while you're checking out past episodes, check out my second chat with Jim Leap, Boondock Studio Manager, and Jimmy makes an appearance in that uh, Boondock build. He's helping Jake in the control room. If you check out the video of mine and Jimmy's chat on the show's YouTube page, you will also get a tour of Boondock, which is pretty awesome, so make sure you check that out if you haven't. Episode 108. You'll find links for the audio and video for that episode in the show notes. A shout out and thank you to everyone who worked to make this happen. Of course, Jake and Jimmy, but also Kevin Browning, director Keith Greiner, and cameraman Austin Friedlin. I really think I crucified your last name and I'm so sorry. And anyone else that worked to make this very awesome opportunity available for us to watch unfold in real time. They recently showed a re-air of this on the band's YouTube page, which is very exciting news. We can watch it as many times as we want and share it with people that we think would be interested in it. So if you missed the first time around or want to re-watch it a couple of times like I did, then you can find a link in the show notes where you can do that or just search on the Umphreys YouTube page. This evening, as Jake says at the beginning, would be a manifestation of a song from the ground up. He tells us that he was up at two in the morning having a riff stuck in his head. This journey from idea in his brainwaves to a song we can hear would clock in at a little over two hours. About two hours and 20 minutes is what the video says. I will preference by saying I have zero knowledge of any of the technical stuff that he was talking about, so I'm not going to elaborate on any of those things because I will in no way be able to talk about that subject in a correct way. So hopefully you're able to check this out, witness and hear exactly what Jake had to say. He mentions lots of really interesting influences throughout this whole process, Progressive Rock as a whole, The Who, Tame Impala, and Prince are just a few of the names that come up during the evening. He would start out on the guitar using butterscotch. He laid a click track in the control room, and the purpose here was to lay the sketch of the song to the click track. And in case you're wondering, he nailed it in one take. Next up, he takes it to the drum kit. I know I've mentioned this before personally, how much I love watching Jake play drums. They recorded this on an analog eight track tape and he nailed this in two takes. The process then takes us into the control room where he changes over the track to the digital processor and adds compression. He heads back to the guitar to redo the original guitar track now that the drums have been added in busting out the Rickenbacker bass next, uses one take to see how it feels to try on and then nails it the second time around. I really, really love it when Jake plays the bass. (laughs) Taking things to the Roland Juno DS Poly Synth, trying out a bunch of different ideas while he's here. We get to see different parts of his thought process for different parts of the song, where he wants to layer or add less or whatever. 
it was really interesting to see his less is more approach come into play here. Taking us back into the control room to clean up tracks and to do as he says, make sure there's no stupid notes in there. Then back over to Butterscotch to do the lead guitar. He mentions this is his favorite part doing the stunt guitar. And as Kevin reminds us, Jake does all of his own stunts. For you gear nerds, he mentions that he's running guitar out of a super old Gibson amp G8RTV or something along those lines made in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Check out the video for more in-depth details about that from Jake. Really taking a different spin with things next, playing percussion on the outside walls of Boondock Studio. He played the old tools that his mom collects and had hung on the back outside wall of the studio and also playing off the different parts of the wood on the building itself. Jake jokes that it looks like a horror film ready to happen out here. And it kind of does because it's dark at night and, you know, because they're in the boondocks. So it's no lights or really anything. So kind of (laughs) does. There's another very cool, special and interesting part seeing how his brain works with something that's not even a traditional instrument, watching him as he calls it conceptualizing something. Just incredible. I think I keep saying, you know, this is my favorite part. This was my favorite part. But I think out of all of the parts, him playing on the outside of the, of boondock, I think is the most interesting because It's not a traditional instrument, and he still created these parts of the song by tapping drumsticks on rusty, old, 150-year-old tools on the side of his studio. So that's pretty fucking incredible. (laughs) Next up, something that I was especially excited about, Jake picking up a double-neck epiphone a la Jimmy Page. We get the personally for me goosebump inducing tease of stairway to heaven i will admit i listened to that what is it like four five six seconds like it's not very long but i listened to that little part a couple few times (laughs) jake would play around with this beauty for a little bit some vocals begin to come to jake as he continues to tinker in this section deciding to dabble some more in the lyrics vocals and melodies Jake embodies what he describes as a Janelle Monet effect with a harmonizer, going back and forth, listening and rewriting, working on two verses and the chorus. Again, this was really neat watching Jake write the lyrics like this, which are never easy anyway, especially on the spot like this. And when something like lyric writing would happen as he makes mention to in a completely different session usually because of it being such a tedious process. Jake jokes about needing that Bayless belt in one section of the song before slipping into a meditative state as he taps into an unforeseen vortex to uncover the chorus. Working out some lines on a notepad mentioning that he's going to sleep on it and see what else he comes up with, heading back into the control room one more time to mix the vocals. I mean, obviously, 
Like I said, the whole thing was a treat to watch happen in real time. But then to watch him at the board working some magic, that was also very awesome too. I'm not even a nerd in this realm of Umphreys as far as like the technical stuff and the instruments and the gear. Like that piece of it, I don't really know a lot about. But this was still so fascinating to watch and listen to and see him tweak and perfect and make it right. The final step that Jake would take us through using his favorite piece in the whole room, making an official demo on the Atari 2 track tape deck. Kevin did mention in a tweet after this event that Jake worked on another three minutes of this song which is really exciting. Looking forward to hearing this when it's all finished and done and and ready. And I'm also very excited to find out what the winner of the NFT auction decided to name this tune. Very excited to find out that. So definitely make sure you give this a watch. It's so interesting. Like I said, even if you are not into all the gear or a songwriter or a musician yourself, um, check it out because it's really, really cool to see the artist at work. So if you haven't given it a watch yet, you can find a link in the show notes or find it on the Umphreys McGee YouTube page. Do you have a small business that makes shirts, pins, jewelry, stickers, prints, or sells other interesting products or art that you think peeps would love to get their hands on? Is your band looking to get some attention from fellow music-loving umfreaks? Maybe you provide an awesome service that could make folks' lives better or easier and want some like-minded clientele? Or perhaps you're looking to hire some cool people to work with. Let Dropped Among This Crowd and Conduit Magazine help you get the word out. With ad space in monthly issues of Conduit, commercial spots here on the podcast, and more, Dropped Among This Crowd and Conduit can help you reach tons of fellow umfreaks, musicians, and other kind folks looking to purchase from you work with you, and support their fellow ump family. Email dropped at gmail.com if you're interested in chatting more about how we can help you and the amazing ad packages we offer. All right, so here is my chat with concert photographer, videographer, director, and live stream producer, Keith Greiner start with you know are you from Nashville is that where you were born and raised and if not what brought you there uh I'm from small town uh Indiana I'm from Columbus Indiana okay and uh I lived my whole life there um and uh moved closer to Indianapolis just to be closer to the music scene up there for uh the last five years um but prior to moving down here um and uh came down here just because it's music city you know yeah yeah it um, makes sense 
I had worked uh, off and on with Darius Rucker for a couple of years. I did some tour dates with uh, uh, Alan Jackson and um, did a couple of dates for Kid Rock and like had these Nashville artists that I'd worked for, but um, it's hard to get consistent work in Nashville unless you live in Nashville. Yeah. So um, moved down here, um, what, um, October? of uh, 2019, uh, so, you know, approximately six months before uh, the world changed. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, you know, it, it makes it much easier for you with what has happened being there. So it was, you know, kind of a good thing that you got there when you did. Yeah. yeah. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, I don't think my business would be alive today um, if I hadn't been living here in Nashville. Yeah. And, um, and I wouldn't be having the success that I'm having today if it wasn't for um, the influences from the jam band community and seeing Umphreys stream all of their shows and Fish and Dead and & Co. And like, so like when the pandemic hit and I'm like, what am I going to do? One day um, I just was like, oh God, I need to do what these guys have been doing and I need to get in on the live streaming and um, and go that route. So, you know, that's uh, the direction that I went. And um, that now has led me doing a lot of multi-cam video work as well, since I now have so much equipment. Um, so now I can go in and, you know, do those type of uh, uh, recordings and things like that. And that's what's been keeping me so busy is all of that video work. Yeah, I bet. That's really incredible that you were able to, you know, spin it and pivot like that and really adapt to the time. Yeah, it really was at a, at a turning point, you know, to where, you know, you're faced with, uh, you know, do I, do I try to persevere or, you know, do I start uber eats or something <laughs> for sure for like, sure what are what are my options like do i apply at kroger or <laughs> right or do i or, or do it this yeah for sure well and it's smart too because even though live music is going to come back live streaming is still going to be a thing in some capacity especially more than it was before especially mm -hmm. in our scene hopefully uh, other hopefully like your regular nashville artists um and things like that hopefully they embrace it a little bit more in the future um because i already know that they're they've been real quick to pause a lot of live streaming because mm -hmm. it's like but it's not a part of our business model uh and to those people i say oh okay you must be reaching your fans at you know too too much like you must have too many fans you're not trying to reach them and grow that so that's the only reason I could think of that you wouldn't want to do virtual concerts is that you don't need to reach those people anymore, right? Right, right, right. And even as a performer, even if you did have so many fans, even as a performer, you would think that you would still wanna do something because that's what you like to do is perform well, for people, even if it's a little different. Doing these shows at Graceland this weekend is, the best example that I can give it's do these now when it makes sense 
when you're doing a, a special show, a special venue, um, you know, there's so, a reason around doing it. Like they're doing it because they're, they're playing at Graceland, right? Mm -hmm. That's why they're doing it. Um, do it, you know, when you kick off a tour, do it when you have a live show that coincides with your album dropping or something like that, like do it uh, with purpose. Right. But continue to do it mm -hmm. because otherwise you're um, closing the door on, you know, where technology and uh, where we are, you know, as, a, as, you know, just the music industry in general. Mm -hmm. And it's a great, it's another great money-making revenue stream for bands, which what band, unless you're like some mega star, what band isn't going to need revenue stream after the past year? Well, there's a, there's a catch 22 there. The bands that you and I are familiar with have built in audiences that are used to buying tickets and doing couch tours. All of okay. these other artists that I'm referring to do not have that built-in audience who are not used to doing those things. Okay. So, um, to be honest, I think Umphreys can do about the same numbers as a Tim McGraw. Okay. When you're, when you're talking about selling tickets to a live stream, which says a lot about what Umphreys has done with their audience and with their live streaming you know yeah absolutely absolutely so when when you're tim mcgraw and you're thinking about okay i just sold you know two thousand tickets to a live stream and that guy's used to selling out you know thirty thousand person venues mm -hmm. relatively speaking that's not exactly worth it to an artist like that right okay um so that's why I'm saying, okay, it needs to still be around something. Do it for a reason. And, and that's, it's, uh, I think it's gonna be a challenging um, conversation with a lot of these artist managements. And I think it's gonna still take some more time before a lot of these artists get back on board with it. But we'll see. I think it'll be interesting. I'm really, um interested to see where uh the industry as a whole goes with the live streaming in the next 12 to 18 months as we start opening back up and concerts are happening and and all of these things again i think it'll uh it you know i think it'll be cool to see where we are down the road yeah absolutely so what inspired you to even pick up a camera um man um i went through a very hard uh life uh, uh occurrence um uh, a very negative thing in my life and i decided that picking up a new hobby was a way to um deal with the hardship that i was going through wow so it was really one of those things about um I don't know if coping mechanism, but definitely uh, trying to find a light in a, in a very dark moment. Find I, an outlet, some something that was, yeah, like you said, like a light, something to bring you joy. Yeah. Something yeah. to look forward to every day. 
I always say, you know, I was, I'm not the guy that always dreamed of becoming a photographer. I wasn't a kid with, you know, a young kid with a camera in his hand or anything like that. Never had any um, figures in my life that were photographers or anything like that. Um, I had a buddy of mine um, who had gotten into photography uh, about a year and a half prior to this. And he was focusing on music and while I thought that was really cool, he told me how much he spent on his camera and I thought he was fucking crazy because that's how much I just spent on a car. And um... <laughs> my mom was a concert photographer, so yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but when, yeah, man, um, it was just, uh, yeah, it just ended up being one of those things. And, um, and, and, I worked with uh, a local photographer and there were some natural elements that I had that I just naturally was looking at perspectives and angles and lines and things like that. All of that just came really natural to me. Um, and, and still to this day, like um, I can see things with my eye, but when I hold a camera to my eye, it's completely different. Like the way I, you know, I just, I look through the camera uh, uh, differently than I do in just even my natural eye, which I don't Interesting. know. Yeah. I don't know if other people are like that or what, but like I can see stuff, but when I put that up there, it's like, okay, this is how I want to shoot this. This is how, even with the video, it's like, like, okay, set it up, turn it on. Let me see it through the camera. You know, let me see what you were capturing and I'll know what I need to change based off of what I see. That's very interesting. Very cool. So when did you know this was something you wanted to do professionally? Um, <laughs> I lost my job six months after I... <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> after I bought my first camera, I lost my job, man. Um, I had, uh, I had been with that company for, um, like five or six years and, uh, was, uh, a GM of a, of a restaurant and, um, the restaurant had, uh, uh, the owner had made decisions that weren't, um, working out in the restaurant's, uh, favor. Money was tight. Obviously when money's tight, you know, and you need to free up money your general manager is a big chunk of that money um, and a big part of your overhead. So he eliminated the overhead. And uh, I decided that uh, unemployment was like getting paid to go to school. Yeah. I had, um, I had 18 months to learn as much as I could about photography. So smart. Oh, thanks. Very smart. Very smart. So that's what I did every single day. All I did was live and breathe photography for that year and a half. And uh, slowly but surely, people started giving me money. That's awesome. That is very awesome. That's the right way to do it. Make the most of that time. And, you know, universe worked the way it was supposed to. You know, you definitely didn't need to be in that place anymore. You yeah. needed that time to learn. So that's incredible. Thanks, man. So what's the first concert you ever took pictures at? 
main stage like the first big concert yeah first big concert you ready yeah i'm ready Humphreys gave me my first photo pass really yeah that's so cool <laughs> fuck yeah <laughs> that's so I, cool i have pictures of uh of me um taking pictures with the guys um back when they played the super bowl show, show in indianapolis i don't remember what year this was but i had never like this was like probably at least two years away of me ever owning a camera but that was like yeah i came i opened i came across those pictures like a couple of years ago and like sent sent the guys picture like look at this shit like i'm posing with them as just a fanboy you know that's so like, funny i know right <laughs> i know i know so a lot of full circle moments with them being the first one to ever give me my photo pass and then like you know, they were the first major band that ever gave me all access. And, you know, fast forward to, you know, being one of their photographers and then doing video for them last February. And then now live streaming for them, you know, at Chris's house. So it's been a lot of like, you know, a lot of full circle moments with, with those guys, you know? Yeah, that's really awesome. I love stories like that so much. I have one of those myself with the podcast and the magazine and all of that. It's, so I'm, I'm all always here for that kind of shit. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Yeah. So talk some more about that first show. Like, what was that like? Like, I mean, Humphrey's show was pretty intense. So now you're like taking pictures and I was a nervous wreck. Oh, I bet. Like, I was nervous, like, just like visibly nervous and shaking before going into photograph the, them. Which I makes guess. taking pictures difficult when you're <laughs> shaking a <laughs> little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, man. So like, yeah, it was just, it was a nerve wracking, uh, nerve wracking experience, you know, um, getting to shoot on a stage that size with, you know, all the lighting and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, luckily that was, you know, they still let you shoot the whole first set back then. I don't even know if they still do that or what, but it was good for like beginning photographers who really like could utilize that time to, you know, practice mm -hmm. stuff like that. So, um, I don't know. I, I don't even remember if I took up anything that was even like remotely decent that day. Probably not. Um, I cringe whenever I see my photos from, you know, back then, but I bet, I bet, but it's probably really cool to see like how much you've learned, like in one picture, you can just see like all the things you've learned and all the experiences that you've like, wow, just in that time. Yeah. Now it's like, you know, you pull it into Lightroom, you look at it and your mind knows exactly everything that needs to be done to that picture by looking at it. Like mm -hmm. not like, don't even think about it. You're like, okay, this needs that, 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 that. And I'm going to do this, you know? And you just like start, go in and start doing it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause your mindset is just totally right there. Yeah. 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 It's mechanical at that point. Like just the actions. For sure. So what are like your top three, like venues and maybe festivals that you've taken pictures at? I haven't 
done as much as I'd like to really. Um, and, and I haven't done a bunch of different festivals. I've just done like my core ones every year. Um, you know, like I've never, never shot Bonnaroo. I've never been out on the West Coast. Um, I've never shot at MSG. Like there's a lot of these things that just hasn't happened in, in my career. Yet, uh, yet. Sure. <laughs> yet. Sure, sure. Um, you know, so like, obviously Red Rocks is the epitome of like the best venue. Um, you know, I'd really like to shoot at uh, the Hollywood Bowl as well as MSG. Red Rocks has to be a difficult venue. I would assume I could be wrong, but I mean, the ground that you have to cover in that and that place is just yeah. it's got to be hard yeah. <laughs> long day i'm sure yeah a lot of steps man definitely get them in for at, sure at that place um i i i i love a lot of like uh um uh Like your your smaller arenas, I love those places, places that are a little bit easier to get around, but are still big and vast. Um, you know, so I have a lot of fun at that at those shows. Like I always have fun at the Asheville Arena shows and 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 stuff like that. I love that venue. It's huge, but yet uh, it doesn't kill you. Yeah. Um, that was my last Humphrey show. Was that run? Yep. That was a good run. Yep. I was on that whole run. Um, uh, man, festivals. Um, you know, Halloween's always been at the top of my list. Summer camp is is family. Like that was like my my first fest major festival that I worked for. Um, yeah. And like, here's the thing about, I, I, I think that my festivals are, like I'm probably winding down on how many festivals I do and everything just because they're so, they're so hard on our bodies. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's so much work for a photographer and the pay is so small. Like you're working 10 to 12 hours, you know, for, three, four, maybe $500 a day. And so then you got what a three to four day festival and then you're gonna edit for three to four days after that. And it's right. just one of those things that um, I don't, uh, I'm at a point in my career where I think that like, I would rather focus on working with certain artists than trying to kill myself doing those. Right. I had a meeting with a festival this morning and they were like, hey, we'd love to have you out. Um, we can offer you all access and all this and that and free drinks all weekend. Um, and that's it. No housing, no travel, no pay. And I just said, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't do that. Absolutely not. <laughs> Second festival that the other festival that I got a new festival that I got offered this year, it was just the money wasn't, was too low. Um, and I don't, and, and, Relatively speaking, festivals already pay low and they mm -hmm. were paying about half of what I require to even to 
consider doing the festival. So, and the problem there is that there are people out there that are going to do it for free. There are people out there that are going to do it for a couple hundred dollars a day. Mm-hmm. And those people, those photographers are, they're not only hurting themselves, they're hurting the photographer community as a whole. Absolutely. And there's a difference between creating a relationship or starting a relationship and working with someone and doing it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, I do things to start relationships. I do a show, I do a live stream with a small artist to start a relationship. You know, I'll, I'll go do all of these things and not always get paid. But I expect that relationship to be, you know, to come back my way as well. Relationship is a two-way street. Right. So the next time you are, you do have something that, you know, you have a budget for, I expect to get that phone call because I've earned that, you know? Right. Right. Absolutely. So I'm not saying that I don't do stuff for free. I'm just saying that I, I start a relationship and then I build upon it. And I think that's a lot of what people don't understand. And there are a lot of young people out there that are undervaluing themselves and others as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and a festival is completely different than doing a two or three hour show at a small club for somebody. It's a completely different thing. So kudos (laughs) to you for like owning what your worth is and your time. I mean, I know that's hard, you know, for me, myself, you know, I work for myself, I have my own business and it is often hard to speak up for yourself and be firm in, in your rates or what you ask for. I'll message a photographer as well and tell them like my opinions on all of this. Stop undervaluing yourself and stop undervaluing my work by doing what you're doing to yourself. Jake comes to me Mm -hmm. when he's performing and he sees me, he comes to the camera and Mm -hmm. things, little things like that, that have just developed over the years. You know, if Ryan sees me knelt down behind something like he'll come to me, you know, and, and do faith. And, and then, you know, obviously I'm really close with Chris and, and, and things and, and relatively with Andy, Andy and I have, got had created a friendship over over the years and stuff so yeah like that that goes along those relationships go a long way well let's talk about your your business and and what you've been working on with that and talk a little bit more about reps and around nashville okay all right so you mentioned you started your business as a pivot in 2020 to kind of do a, a sign of the time so what was your first thing you did and what is it called again your business um well uh it's just fierce productions okay so it's a spinoff of fierce photography okay um, you know and we use a ph um you know because we love fish and uh you know i i uh a lot of people in our scene get that, and then the rest of the world is uh, just lost. Well, that's and, we uh, could go into a whole thing on that too, couldn't uh, we? <laughs> we 
just don't under, understand and that's okay too. Um, and yeah, it was, it was my COVID pivot and um, really quick, uh, we started landing some gigs really early on. Um, my relationship with Darius Rucker came into play as um, his manager was looking for avenues of uh, income for Darius and such. So we've um, met since the beginning been doing um, streams with Darius for clients like uh, Sam's Club and Walmart and wow. uh, pharmaceutical companies and credit unions and banks and like all of these major corporations. Uh, we have one tomorrow. Um, so we do, um, you know, um, two to three days a month with him out at his house. Wow, that's really fucking rad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And every time I walk in, I'm like, holy shit, D, you were hanging out with Post Malone. What the fuck? You had dinner with Ric Flair? Like those, wait a minute, you were at Chappelle's this weekend? Are you kidding me? And he's like, yeah, Bill Burr was there. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like, I don't care that you're Darius Rucker. I care about who you're going and hanging out with. That's what's blowing my mind. For sure. Talk about like two degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon, right? <laughs> he probably knows Kevin, okay? See, like, look at you. You would win the game. <laughs> he's like, you know, he's texting Dan Marino about their fantasy football league and like all of these things that just blow my mind. In the meantime, I'm over here in his pantry looking for a snack and digging <laughs> through his fridge trying to find a drink, right? Like that's where I'm at with all of that. Um, but it's no, it's, it's, it's been great, man. Um, it's been good to do so many different things with so many of those clients with him because each one was different and gave me opportunities to learn and adapt to, um, each of those jobs. So all of that's given me, um, continuously new levels of experience. And I've been able to take that now to other clients. So and like with them, I've worked with them so long, I can just look at his manager and go, I don't fucking know, but let's figure it out, right? And so nice. that's what we do, right? We figure it out, we do it, um, everything's been good. And then I take that experience elsewhere. And that's allowed me, you know, to navigate um, into a lot of other uh, spots and, and work with a lot of other artists and, and managements and um booking agents and things like that so it's been a really cool um experience none of this would have been possible had i not lived in nashville yeah you had to be right there you had to be right in it everybody's right here you know all the artists everybody to work with is here and you do it right in your house like in your basement you have a space we do have a, a spot down there we've done smaller things down there um, so like the, a lot of the bigger stuff we've done on location in production houses and other staging places um, and stuff like that. Cool. There there's, go. Endless, uh, there's endless choices here in Nashville. Oh yeah, absolutely. And especially with venues that were doing the, you know, empty venue thing, you know, you could do stuff there too. Yeah. Yeah. We've done some video things at, at, at at uh, a lot of those places as well. Um, uh, and a lot of the venues here in Nashville, they ended up pivoting themselves 
So now most of the Nashville venues have their own setups. So yeah, 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 yeah. It just, it made a lot of sense to everybody last year, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's so rad that you're able to do that. So talk about getting the call to work with Umphreys and do Wrapped Around Nashville. Um, man, um, I was, uh, I was extremely excited. I was extremely nervous. You know, um, I know, um, that they've been, they've been doing this stuff for a really long time. And so I wanted to, um, provide them, you know, with what they're used to quality product and, and all of those types of things. So, um, it definitely was a challenge, um, doing it a six piece band in uh, a one room basement studio was challenging. Um, you know, I, I think that was more challenging than doing it in a venue because of the space confinements and, um, you know, it wasn't set up for that kind of stuff. So it was a lot of figuring it out and making a lot of small changes. You know, if you watch the stream on night one and then watch night three, you're going to see a lot of different things because we continually made those small adjustments to try to make it better and um, and to try to give the fans, uh, you know, um, a better looking stream. So. Nice. And you brought in Crescent Sun Lighting, right, to do the lights for that. And so talk about working with them. You work with them on other stuff that you're doing too, right? Yeah, that's my, my buddy Clay, and he he does all the Darius uh, stuff uh, for me. Nice. Um, and so he, uh, um, he uh, considers himself an amateur still. And, and, you know, and uh, he does a great job with uh, his setup and, and everything. He programmed all the lighting down in my basement now. So now we took control over that a couple of weeks ago. So, uh, which was awesome of him to uh, program and, and design all of that for me. Um, so a huge shout out to, to Clay Maddox. Um, uh, also, uh, he's got his own hot sauce, uh, Nashville hot sauce out there. Uh, so shout out to, to his hot sauce as well. Nice. I'll have to uh, link that up for him and buy a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> he just bought a magazine for me, so I'll have to pay. Oh, did he really? Yeah. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Sweet. So sweet. I'll have to do that and <laughs> support his stuff too. Yeah, so now that we're doing the lighting down there, so I'm doing audio directing and doing lighting all at the same time. Wow. Uh, so um, I'm just not doing any of them at a very high level <laughs> because I'm spreading myself a little fucking thin. Yeah, that's a lot for one person to be doing and like all in the moment and everything else. Yes, yeah. so lot. if the lighting looks great, the audio probably sucks. <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's a give and take in there somewhere, right? That's what life is about, though. Give and take. <laughs> Nothing is perfect. Hey, the fact that you're doing it and you're putting yourself out there and you're trying, kudos for real, because that's all you can do is just fucking try. Yep. Yeah, Thank man. Always push yourself, right? For sure. Absolutely. That's what I do. I knew nothing about podcasts. I knew nothing about a magazine. 
I know about Humphreys. So there we go. Why not? I think the moment you become complacent, you know, is when you start moving backwards. 100%. I mean, you have to, you got to keep, keep growing and keep moving forward. I mean, you get stagnant and stuck. Yep. Not here for that. So let's talk about the Valentine's run last year and, and shooting Umphreys with Billy Strings. And you yeah. got some backstage like, access. I mean, that was awesome. That was like four years ago, right? Yeah, I think. Yeah, definitely. At least four, maybe 10. <laughs> <laughs> I posted a really good meme uh, the other day about that, like. 2019 was 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 four years ago and 1995 uh was like 50 years ago and so on like it was like this meme that like I completely related to right for sure for sure I will say too I thoroughly enjoy your Instagram stories and the content that you post on there is constantly got me cracking up and just shaking my head yes and <laughs> When I went and shot the Chicago drive-in show last year, mm-hmm. I had people coming up to me to tell me how much they loved my memes. Okay. I'm walking around fully draped in photography gear and they're not coming up to me to tell me how much they love my photos. They're coming up to tell me how much they love my fucking memes. <laughs> A little bit about the drive-in show experience then taking pictures and you know just being there that was awesome to go up there and do that because that was my i mean other than live streams without a crowd um that was my first you know music experience um of 2020 um with a crowd since the uh valentine's day run oh wow so So, you know, that was just huge. The feeling of walking around and hearing people cheering and that vibe, like, I don't get that in the live streaming setting, you know, like I'm experiencing music and having fun and you can see me bouncing up and down in my chair and having a good time and all of those things, but there's not that live vibe. Um, Everybody else's energy. The people, the crowd is so important. You know, we all feed off of that. The band feeds off of it. The crew feeds off of it. The photographers feed off of it. And the crowd feed off each other. And I, I think that is an element that prior to the pandemic, people, because I know I did, probably took that for granted, how important that was. You know, I, I would show up to concerts and show up to festivals and just be like, here we go again. Like, mm-hmm. or wasn't that... I did so much of it on a daily basis that there wasn't that excitement anymore. There wasn't, um, you know, just that, that love that was there in the beginning mm-hmm. had all kind of subsided and worn off because this was just our job and we did it and we enjoy it. And by God, I know how good it was compared to um, running a restaurant because that was the last real job that I had. You know, so don't get me wrong there. I understood that, but that joy and that happiness and that just absolute excitement had worn off. And I think that's something that a lot of us won't take for granted um, again. 
A hundred percent. I think you're right. I find myself when I'm listening to live shows, I'll listen to the crowd noise after the second set. Now I used to, you know, fast forward through to get to the song for the encore or whatever. And now I just, I listen to it because I want to hear that. I want to have the, those goosebumps, you know, and everybody's just cheering so hard and so fired up and I miss that. And I can't wait for that again. Oh yeah. That's going to be so good. And that's the only drive-in that you did was Chicago. Oh, well, yeah. Those two, two Chicago shows. So um, yeah. Other than the, the Valentine's day run last year, which was phenomenal. And you uh, just did uh, photos for the biscuits, didn't you? They did, did they did like was, above the caverns or something they did. The caverns are doing like four shows a week out there. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so they on, just moved everything up top now. Yeah. They have an amphitheater up there. Um, and um, they're going to, once the season is over, they're going to build a permanent amphitheater up there as well. So they're going to oh, have wow. two venues on location there. Um, but yeah, it was uh, all last weekend. I was with uh, Biscuits out there and had a great time uh, with those guys. Uh, we hadn't really worked together in about six years like that. So it was good to just reconnect with them and work with those guys on that level. Um, because, you know, I, I'm in a much different place in my career um, today than I was six years ago. Right. You know? And you're a much different person, too. Yeah. Yeah. Much older. And yeah. uh, <laughs> I have gray hair now, um, you know, and, and I'm pushing myself create creatively right now more um, than I ever have. And, and it was nice. I hadn't done any double exposures like I did the last night. I hadn't done any of those since I was with Dead & Company on their New Year's Eve run out in San Francisco, which was uh, 20, uh, 2019, New Year's Eve 2019. Wow, that sounds like it would have been an incredible run. Oh, it was pretty cool, yeah. I bet. <laughs> I hadn't had the opportunity to really do those kind of double exposures and that is really pushing yourself create creatively, you know, yeah. like, and uh, a lot of exploration and, uh, and those kind of things. So it was really cool to break that back out um, this, this past weekend with, with the biscuits and stuff. And um, I know they were excited to work with me just as I was excited to work with them. So that's pretty cool. And, you know, when you get together on that kind of level and everybody's just stoked to, to work with each other. Right. And just to be working period right now to, for them to be able to play music in front of people, just like any other band right now. So and they've got a great crew. Uh, Ryan Noel's, uh, Noel's uh, a great tour manager and Andrew Cass is their, their production manager. Who's also uh, the lighting designer and director for string cheese. And so known those guys for, for, for a hot minute and it's just great to get together with a bunch of people that you know and and work with them you know thanks thanks yeah. so i guess finally we'll wrap it up here but i'm going to ask you what is a piece of advice that you would give a professional concert photographer um a lot of what i talked about earlier know your value um and uh, put in the time, you know, um, what they say to be a master of any craft, you have to put in 10,000 hours. So put in the time, put in the work, put in the effort um, and learn from your peers, learn from the people that have been doing it a long time before you, 
and um, you know, study their work, um, study their process, uh, befriend them. And when you become a professional, do the same for those people um, uh, that, that are coming after you. Um, you know, uh, a big fuck you to any of the guys in the industry that have big egos and don't treat the other photographers the way that other photographers treated them when they came into. Because I see a lot of that and there's no room for, for egos. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all photographers. Um, there's room in the pit for everyone. And, uh, you know, I learned from some of the greats uh, like Jay Blakesburg, who, you know, I'm just grateful to call a friend and somebody I can call for advice and taught me about things like licensing. And, and, and that's an important aspect of it. Absolutely. What an incredible friend to have anyways, but then as a photographer and then to have as a mentor, pretty much. That's incredible. You know, um, yeah, those are some of the main things that I think I would tell, uh, tell somebody. And like I said, don't get complacent. Always push yourself. You know, I see people that are 10, 15, 20 years into their career and they stop pushing themselves. And, and I feel like their work starts going backwards, you know. And, and you know, you can always learn from, from other people. Um, and so I was looking at someone's work and going, what are they doing that I can pick up on? Like, I'm confident in my work. My work speaks for itself. But you know what? I think I can always better what I'm doing. And uh, I think it's good to always focus on what you can, can do better. Yeah, for sure. Stay, stay humble. That's just good life advice. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Well, this has been really, really fucking awesome. Cool. (laughs) No, it's great, though, man. I love this. I love this about my show that it gives me the excuse to hide in my little makeshift studio and to have a conversation with people like you. I mean, even if we ran into each other at a show and said, hey, we would not have been able to have a conversation like this. And so, I mean, that's pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, if you run into me at a show, I'm probably going to leave after about two minutes. Cause I- yeah, you're pretty oh. fucking busy. <laughs> <laughs> Not trying to be rude, but I'm a little busy right now. <laughs> I don't even care about being rude anymore. It's like, hey, I got to go. Yeah. Well, anybody that it has a brain should understand that though. Like <laughs> now's not the time to be shooting the shit with Keith. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Yeah, I got to go. I've got an artist showing up any second now. So I got to go down and finish getting the studio set up and get ready for uh, my live stream uh, here in a little bit and uh, have some fun doing that and head out to the show afterwards. Sweet. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for taking the time out of your super busy schedule. This is great. So awesome. Take care. Thank you so much. I'll see you. All right. So that's everything I have for this week of the show. Thank you again to Keith for taking the time. It was such a pleasure. 
There are a bunch of links in the show notes for anything Keith or I may reference throughout the episode, and there are links for where you can find Keith on social media. You'll also find links where you can binge on other past episodes, book a conversation, and be a guest on the show, snag some merch, the recent and past issues of Conduit from the official DATC store on Etsy, get yourself a subscription to Conduit Magazine, and so much more. So make sure you check all of that out. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you around these parts next week. Mad love.